Father God, I thank you for a church that prays, that has been praying not for me as an individual, but for a pastor to come and be faithful. I praise you for that. I praise you for a church that has been so hospitable to care for me and my family. And God, I pray that as we're here now, that those prayers, that hospitality, that love, I know they already do these things for the community, but let's amplify it, God. And all of that prayer, all of that love, all of that hospitality, that care for strangers, God, direct it to this community in Troy. God, may we make your name great here. May this town be blessed by Troy first. And every Christian, every person here who has a neighbor, may they see this as their mission field. May they extend that same prayer, that same love, that same fervor, that same hospitality to the people of this place. God, I accept this commission. I accept it with joy. I accept it with eagerness. I accept it with expectation. You are a good God. Let us tell the world about you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, man, thank you for such a warm welcome, and I am just thrilled to be here. My family's thrilled to be here, um, and I do ex just appreciate the hospitality so much. Well, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4. Uh, one of the songs that the worship team sang, uh, they, it quotes the, the passage that says, Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Um, I'm just going to ask you a question, and you can... Uh, reply in the affirmative. Is that true? Who the sun set free is free indeed. Is that true? Yes. Man, it's true. And yet I wonder if there's a Christian here who doesn't feel like that's true. I wonder if sometimes you're that Christian who you don't feel freedom, that you believe in the gospel, you especially believe it in theory, um, but you wonder sometimes if it's true for you. And maybe you look around and you see all sorts of other Christians and you just wonder, it seems like it's true for them. How come I don't feel that? I'm going to direct your attention to your notes. Uh, it's in the bulletin or it's on the screen. To Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Let's be honest. Sometimes that's what we're afraid of. I don't know about you. I haven't driven out demons. I've seen someone that I believe was demon-possessed, prayed, but I don't feel like I drove them out. I haven't done all sorts of prophecies and miracles and things like that. And yet, you have in Matthew chapter 7... A picture of someone who's doing these things, these great and mighty things, and yet when they stand before God, he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Now Christians, let's be honest, sometimes we're afraid that's us. Sometimes we're afraid that that person is me, that when I go to sleep at night and, and if, uh, if I'm sitting there thinking about my own faith and I have those moments where I'm thinking about the doctrine of heaven and hell and, and I start to think about my own salvation, I wonder, is that me? I think most Christians have felt that. I had a, when I was a youth pastor in Kentucky, so two churches ago now, um, I had this girl who I led to Christ, explained the gospel, uh, just like I did when I came here in view of a call, maybe a shorter version, but uh, I explained the gospel to her, and she 
was crying her eyes out, so sincere, just uh, genuine. As, as far as one human can tell to another human, she was genuine in the faith, prayed to receive Jesus Christ as her Lord and her Savior. And yet, it was a couple, maybe six months later, something like that, we had this, um, had this youth event. And, uh, and so at this youth, youth event, this pastor said something that uh, I'm not trying to pick at him, but you'll never hear me say it. He said something like, if you're sitting there tonight and you're just 99% sure, now I'm not trying to pick at any pastor who ever said this, I just, I'm not going to say this and I'm going to explain why. If you're not 90, if you're not 100% sure, maybe it's just 99, maybe it's 99.9% sure that you're going to heaven, then you need to come get saved right now. I don't know if you've ever heard a preacher say that. I have a little fear when a preacher says that and here's why. I'm not certain about anything, right? So, so when uh, my wife, if she's like, what do you want for supper? What do you want for lunch? Something like that. I don't know. Like, I think I usually want burritos, but I don't always want burritos. So I, I wonder if that's you. We start to just overanalyze ourselves. In fact, if you go to that 99% and you start to say, well, do I believe 100%? And we start to see if we can have faith in our own ability to have faith. And that's never what the Christian faith has been about. In fact, faith means trusting God. Therefore, I trust God when I realize I'm not enough, including my own ability to believe. So here's the fear we have, though, is when we see in Matthew 7, verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. So I sat there with this girl at this, uh, it was an outdoor concert. This pastor said that 99% instead of 100%, you got to come forward. So she goes forward again, and she's crying her eyes out again, accepts Christ again, which I don't believe you can do a second time. And so I just had this thought to myself, she is going to do that forever because as that song said, who the sun sets free is free indeed. We believe that in, in theory, in theology, but we don't necessarily believe that in practice. We don't necessarily feel that freedom. And I believe God wants you to feel that freedom. As I said, I started with the gospel when I came in view of the, of the call because I want you to share the gospel. But I'm going to First John now because this book answers the peace that we should have. That if you are a believer sitting there today, there is a good chance you don't have peace in the salvation that Romans chapter 3, verse 23, chapter 6, verse 23, chapter 5, verse 8, chapter 10, verse 9, those verses clearly explain the gospel, and yet we have difficult, difficulty resting in the gospel. I don't think God wants that for you. I think it's hard for us to go out and share about so great a salvation if we're having trouble resting in that great salvation. In fact, it'd be hard to even call it great if I am uneasy all the time. And so what we're going to do is go through the book of 1 John, which was written entirely to give you that kind of peace. No single part of it, even today, we're going to talk about the greatest evidence of Christianity. Even this part is not going to be just the whole argument. But little by little, we're going to go through the book of 1 John. And by the end of it, if you're faithful to the study, faithful in attendance and coming, the Word of God is going to give you peace. You're going to be able to hear through Scripture, why you should have peace. So we're starting off with what I believe is the greatest evidence for Christianity. So in 1 John chapter 1, look at verse 1 with me if you would. It says, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father 
and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you. So I wonder if you've uh, ever had something amazing happen to you or even something terrible, but, but no one was there to witness it. Like there, there's just no one who saw it. And so you kind of feel like, man, I can't believe that no one saw this. Um, so my, my former position was a young adults pastor. And this started off in my wife and our home. And so we would just we'd have supper, Bible study, and then we'd play games afterward. My wife would go to bed because we have kids and they'd have to go to school tomorrow. And, uh, and then I would stay up sometimes till 1 a.m. with the young adults who are like, yeah, we work tomorrow, but um, this is what we do. We're young adults. So they would just do all sorts of interesting things that I don't know how it's fun, but uh, they do it. Some things are obviously fun, but some things I'm just like, wow, you all get entertained by things that just don't entertain me. I'd, I'd be all right going to sleep. Um, <laughs> So we went down to our basement, which wasn't even finished. I, I can't even remember why we went down there, but I guess we had hung out enough upstairs, so time to go down to the basement. So a group of us go down there, and this one guy, we had a, a dartboard on the, the cement wall of our basement. This one guy saw that we had an I-beam going across our basement supporting our house, and he just thought, I wonder if I could do a pull-up and throw a dart with my foot and hit the bullseye. I don't know why you all haven't thought of doing that thing, but, but that's what he thought of. So he starts doing it. Well, we start talking because obviously this isn't going to happen quickly. And then all of a sudden, we're all turned away from him. He screams, and he's just so excited that, man, this just happened. It, like, oh, did you all see that? None of us saw it. <laughs> now, I did a foolish thing. I underestimated how stubborn this guy was. So we start teasing him like, oh, sure, I'm sure it happened. So he proceeded to go for like the next two hours until he did it again. And I promise you, we all were watching for the next two hours because we didn't, I should have kicked him out, but I, I didn't. So nobody saw it, so it didn't seem like it happened. Well, do you see that in First John? If you look at these verses, what he's saying to us. So he says, first, what, what was from the beginning? That's a reference to Genesis. That's a reference to John chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He says, what we have heard what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed, the, the we's he's talking about himself, the apostles, and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. So then he, he says that word of life, talking about Jesus, again, a reference to John chapter 1, this same guy who wrote this, the apostle John, the son of Zebedee, the same guy he wrote the gospel of John. And so he's saying this word of life, he's calling Jesus that, because Jesus is not only the, the message of it, but he's the very thing that leads us to life. Jesus Christ, it's an interesting thing about Christianity. When you think about our faith, it is all wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. It is all wrapped up in him, his death, burial, his resurrection, his coming as the son of God. It's all wrapped up on him. As 1 Corinthians 15 says, if Christ be not risen, we are of all men most miserable. It's all about him. He is the linchpin. But the good thing is, He's a sturdy linchpin. The good thing is, he's actually, the personhood of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, is, is actually one of the greatest reasons to believe in Christianity. So look at some of the things he says. He says, we have heard. So they heard Jesus' teaching. What we have seen with our eyes. It's interesting he, he articulates how he sees things. I don't know if you see things with your eyes, but that's how I see things. But he makes sure that we know that. Not just some metaphorical or metaphysical type seeing. We saw him with our eyes. And in case you didn't get that, he says what we've observed. So he didn't just see it, but he observed it. And that kind of has the, 
the connotation of I, I beheld, I saw with approval, I gazed upon. So I didn't just see him with my eyes, but I saw and I understood and approved. I saw this word of life, I saw Jesus, and then touched him with our hands. That they were with him before he died, but then even after, think about doubting Thomas and what happened with him, that how did he get proven? He's like, see the nail piercings, touch those. Does a, scar, does a ghost have those? Does, does a ghost have those scars? The answer is no. So they heard, they saw, they observed, they touched with their hands the word of life. What he's saying is they are witnesses. I had a friend once who uh, I was sharing the gospel with him, and he had said something to me. He said, well, I, I just wish God would just kind of rip open the sky, like just say, hey, I'm here. Well, the reality is he did that. He came, I mean, not literally, but he came to earth. And at some point, we're going to have to believe someone unless he just reveals himself instantly to everybody. And that's not how he does it because he does want us to trust him. But John is saying we saw him. We witnessed him. In fact, look at your notes again. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 says, For I passed on to you, this is the Apostle Paul, as most important, I want you to hear that, most important, the things that are key, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to Scripture. Do you hear that? That's, an, that's a succinct way of saying the gospel. Here's the good news. You're a sinner, but Christ died, He was buried, and He rose again according to the Scripture. He says, this is the message we preach. Now look at the next part, verse 5. And that He appeared... You see, they're claiming something very specific. Not just that Jesus rose and then we never saw him again, but he appeared to us, to Cephas, also known as Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. So to Cephas, the twelve, over 500 brothers and sisters, verse 7, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, Last of all, as to one born out of the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Now, why is that important? Why is it important that they saw him? I mean, you've met people who lied before. You've met people who haven't told the truth. Maybe, maybe you have occasionally not told the truth. So why is it important that they're telling us these things? Because if the death, burial, and resurrection is not true, then these men were quite foolish. Because many of them... We're going to go to their own grave saying we saw a risen Savior. Many of them, in fact, Paul's going to be beheaded. Peter is going to be crucified upside down. Now, maybe you've lied before, but usually it's to protect yourself. Usually it's not, I'm going to say something that is so outlandish, so crazy, that people are going to want to stop me from saying it, and therefore I'm going to be killed myself. The moment that they start to tie you to something and they're going to burn you or put your head in a pike, the moment they start to do that, you're going to say, wait, maybe I was just kidding. Maybe I didn't mean it. Or these 500 witnesses, as this young Christianity is spreading throughout all the world, maybe at that time someone says, no, how about this? How about we go look in the grave where he was buried? It's not a, it's not a hidden thing. It's not a secret. Let's go look there. There's the body right there. In fact, because of that, because there was no body and there's no documents of antiquity saying that there was a body. No, the Christians were all lying. We found a body. There's nothing like that in antiquity. In fact, what there is record of is disciples, apostles, 
believers going to their death saying we saw the risen Savior. So something has to be true here. Either they were really foolishly mistaken, which doesn't seem like it because they said we saw him, we touched him, we heard him. Or they're crazy, right? You'd have to be crazy to say, I will go die for this thing that I know to be a lie because there's a, um, there's a swoon theory out there that says that, uh, that they faked his death, that Jesus faked his death. No, Romans were really good at killing people, right? <laughs> they had that down. There's, there's a theory that the disciples stole his body. Okay, again, they said we saw him resurrected. Not just me, but like 500 people saw him resurrected. It's not just that his body's missing. It's that we saw him. So if those things aren't true, then they must be crazy. Crazy to say it's true, and it's not true. Crazy to say we saw him risen when, in fact, we know we stole his body. And yet, Scripture is the most coherent, sane, amazing thing that has ever been written. It is the greatest book of all of human history. It is a book, I've heard it said, that when you read it, it reads you. Have you ever just been reading Scripture? You're looking through the Word, and, and as you go through it, you're like, that hits me. How does God know me so much? How, does, how, how is he? Oh yeah, he claims to be the one who searches the hearts, but how? How does God know me? How does, how does this word know me? And so these men who claim to see the risen Savior are the same men who rate the, wrote the greatest work in all of human history. This book that has been circulated that people in other countries who don't have the liberties we do will die just to be able to read it. I was talking to a, a guy one time when I was a young adults pastor. I, uh, I had this, uh, I, I'd go to this college occasionally, and uh, I was interested that they would let me in there, but uh, it was before COVID, and so they'd let me in there, and I, I would kind of do like a booth type thing and, and see if people would come up to me and talk. And so you may say, well, probably no one did except for Christians. Well, we had, we had a trick. So my wife makes these uh, really good. They're just Walmart break-apart cookies. I don't know if you ever had those, but you got to undercook them a little bit. If you undercook them a little bit, they're one of the most delicious uh, cookies ever. I actually had this uh, guy who walked by one time where he, he didn't want to talk to us. So he like did a drive-by walk. He grabbed a cookie and then he, he bit into the cookie. And when he was like right around the corner, he looked back, he goes, oh, wow. Like, yeah, they're really good cookies. Would you like to talk to us? So I had this, had this other guy come up though. And he just started asking me these questions about Jesus. And he's, he had this mindset that Jesus wasn't even a real person. And I was just like, no serious scholar thinks that. Jesus is the most well-documented human in all of antiquity. There, there is no one comparable to Jesus. No one. Not, not even close. There's no question he exists. So then you have to go to, is he, did he die and rise again? There's no question he exists, but is he who he says he was? Did he die and rise again? And so some of those things I've talked to you about, I, uh, I wanted to give you a few uh, just resources if you want to read more on it. So you could, you could read The Case for Christ, More Than a Carpenter, Mere Christianity, I'll say those again, Case for Christ, More Than a Carpenter, Mere Christianity, or there's a professor named Dr. Gary Habermas, he specializes specifically in the resurrection, and so uh, that's Gary Habermas, you can ask me afterward if you like. What I'd like to say to you at this beginning, this first point, is that Jesus is real. I'm trying to talk to you as we go through 1 John I'm trying to talk to you about reasons that you should believe, and we're going to get to the interior, interior 
uh, I guess, wrestlings that we have sometimes. Because when we think of the fear of faith, usually it's some sort of thing with us. We wonder if we're good enough. Uh, we wonder if God could really forgive us. We wonder those types of things. Have I really believed? Those types of things. But we have to start with the cross. We have to start with the person of Jesus. That's where John, who writes this amazing letter, this amazing thing that it's going to talk to us all about how we can know we're saved, that's where he begins. He begins by saying what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, that life was revealed and we have seen it. And we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. He's saying there are witnesses. We saw it. In fact, we're willing to die for it. It's not some falsehood that you're just going to threaten us and intimidate us and, and we'll just back down. That's not what it is. It's one that these men and women are going to go to prison and oftentimes their own death saying, I know it's true. You can't make me lie about it. I know it's true. And they did it so effectively that the entire world was changed. That we sit here today in a church in Missouri all the way across the ocean from when this happened, hundreds and hundreds of years later, hearing about this resurrected Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is real. If you want to start with how you can have assurance of salvation, it is that Jesus is real. Begin there. Begin with the greatest evidence, the greatest attested God became man in human history. Jesus is real. So then the question is, someone may say, so what? What if he is real? What does it matter? Let's look at verse 2 through 4 now. So notice right before verse 2, it says the word of life. So talking about Jesus, the word of life. And he says, verse 2, that life was revealed. We have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and revealed to us. I'm going to give you four very quick points about why it matters. And the first one is just this, that people were denying Jesus. They were denying the Christ, even at that time. So I have in your notes there, I have 1 John chapter 2, verse 22. It says, who is the liar, if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. As we go through 1 John, you're going to see multiple times where he says, who is the one who lies, or who is the liar, something like that, or the one who says. You're going to see this over and over again, because the book of 1 John was written because there's some false teachers in their midst. They said things like this, who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? That's what they're doing. That's why he has to say, whoa, I'm writing to all you believers who are around these false teachers. Realize what we have said from the beginning, it hasn't changed. Whatever they're saying, that there is no Christ, that Jesus didn't come, this thing that they're saying is false. It's not true. We have heard. We have seen fact we've touched him with our own hands it's true we've witnessed the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ so that's one reason the denial of christ the second is jesus is a testimony of life i think it's awesome how john de describes him it's just an amazing testimony about the personhood of jesus christ and what what he meant in this world that all were dead before him but here we see at the end of verse one he calls him the word of life verse two that life was revealed. Later on in verse 2, he says, we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and revealed to us. So 
He's a testimony of life. Having your notes again, John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is what John claims. The same guy who wrote 1 John wrote the Gospel of John. He says that Word of life, God, became flesh and dwelt among us. We observe, there's that word again, His glory. The glory is the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then he went on to write, look at the next verse, John 14, 6. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what I want you to know today. If you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is no other way to God. Sometimes you have doubts about where you'll go because you put your hope in something besides Jesus. When I came here in view of a call, I, I went through the gospel, the entirety of Romans 3.23, 6.23, 5.8, and 10.9 to explain that. If you haven't heard that or you don't understand the gospel, go listen to that. But I'll give you a, a shortened version today. It's that you are a sinner. And no amount of your good works will get you before God because he is a holy God, a just God. He has to be separate from sin. We can't be in his presence. And sin earns death, so something had to die for our sins. And that's why Jesus came. But if he just died, if he just stayed dead, it's less powerful. It's less impactful. I have less hope. It's less hopeful to believe in a God who says he can conquer death when he himself stayed dead. That's why the resurrection matters. That's why this testimony of John and these other apostles, these witnesses, including the 500 brothers who said, we saw him, we know he was killed, but we saw him, he appeared to us, and we will go to our own graves saying that he is resurrected. The third reason why it matters is the fellowship and joy. Look at the next verses in 1 John 1. He says, verse 3, What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us. So fellowship with Christians, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. There is a relationship that God wants to invite you into. Now, if you've ever been in a relationship that kind of made you doubt your status, husbands, I want to talk to you for a second. Don't make your wife doubt that you love her. Show her you love her. Fathers, mothers, don't make your kids doubt that you love them. Tell them regularly. Tell them often. Let them know that you love them. And as much as we want to do those things to let, I think of my own kids, I never want them to doubt that their dad loves them. And as good of a father as I try to be, God is infinitely better. This is something I want to rest in your mind for a second. As you think of what you would want for your own loved ones to know their standing with you, as you think of that, think that God calls you his son or his daughter. What does he want for you? He wants that same kind of peace, that same kind of insurance, that same as this says, fellowship. Fellowship with believers, but fellowship with him. So if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then that's what he wants with you. He wants a relationship with you, and in a moment, I'm going to ask you if you'll do that. I'm going to ask you if you'll have a relationship with Jesus Christ and to know once and for all where you would go if you would die. But that's not the last thing he says. He says in verse 4, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, there's some question over translation, whether it's our joy 
or their joy, either one. In Third uh, John verse 4, he says his joy. In John chapter 15 verse 11, it says their joy. So I'm not going to pick a side on the translation argument, but suffice it to say that John will be happy for you if you come to know Christ, and also you'll be happy. So both of those things are, are good. But he says, we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Sometimes when we think about Christianity, we don't think about joy. We think that I'm going to have to follow a, a rigid set of rules and uh, be all about behavior modification and those types of things. Now, God wants us to be holy, but there is joy in Christianity. Man, let me tell you this, in a, in a marriage that both parents are surrendered to Christ, wholeheartedly following the Lord, the household is different. I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty if yours hasn't been or if you've uh, maybe been from a split home, something like that. I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty. What I'm saying is pursue the Lord now. There is joy in the Lord. There is wholeness. There is satisfaction. There is health in the Lord. And he says in verse 4, we're writing these things for that purpose. What's awesome is John's going to tell us multiple times why he's writing this, this letter. He's going to tell us multiple times, and one of them is for joy. I'm going to share another one with you. If you look at your notes, John chapter five, 1 John chapter 5, verse 11, says, and this is the testimony. So again, John is still declaring what he wants you to know. This is, this is what he's seen. This is what he's heard. This is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Pause there for a second. This is what he's testifying to you today. When you want to know about the greatest evidence, it is men and women who went to their death saying, we saw Jesus. There is life eternal in him. This is why it matters. This is why it matters that Jesus is a real figure in history. God became man. This is why it matters that he didn't stay dead, but he rose again. It matters because he provided eternal life. This is the testimony that a man who is willing, uh, John was one of the lucky ones, it doesn't seem like he was martyred for the death, but he was in prison. Some traditions say he was boiled in oil. So he didn't have an easy life because of this, but he was willing to go to his death. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Now look at verse 12. This is how simple I want the gospel to be for you in your mind. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is what it comes down to. Now to have the Son, you, you need to surrender yourself to Him, recognize His Lordship. Sometimes we have doubts about our salvation because we haven't surrendered to Him as Lord. That means Master. There may be unrepentant sin in your life that's keeping you from the peace that you should have because you are being someone in disobedience to your Lord. I don't say that again just to make you feel guilty. I say, I want you to have peace. I want you to have joy. And there is a recognition of lordship that has to happen. I have to acknowledge that God has authority over me, and that means I may not be able to do everything I want to do. That means I may need to do some things that he wants me to do. So lordship. He says, the one that has the Son has life. So we have to believe that, that is authority over us. We also have to believe that he died and rose again for us. That's having the Son. So when you have those nights that you're struggling with doubts, having those fears, think of this verse, 1 John 5, 12, the one who has the Son has life. It's not about how good you've been. You haven't. You're a sinner. We're going to see that in chapter 1 later on. You're a sinner. We don't deserve him. We don't deserve uh, life eternal. We don't deserve that, but he gives it to us. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now look at verse 13 with me. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Paul's there. 
He's writing to you Christians. He wants you to know something, Christians. I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That's the purpose of the book of 1 John. He's talking to all the the people out there that are like the teenage girl that I led to Christ, and then she went up in all sincerity again, and maybe that's you, that you've been in all sincerity trying to just be saved. What he wants you to know is all you have to do is have Jesus. Put your trust in him. You say, yeah, but how do I know if I really believe? Trust him. Not your ability to believe. Just say, God, I don't know. I have doubts. I'm just going to rest in you, in your salvation, in your work on the cross. If you place your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, you can be certain that you are saved. So the next point is Jesus is the message of life. He is the message. The entirety of the Christian faith surrounds his life, death, and resurrection. From the beginning, this was God's plan. Now, I start off by reading from Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. That's the part that makes us scared, right? Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, right? And he's going to say, depart from me. Well, or all around that, I wonder if you know this, in Matthew chapter 7, the verses surrounding it, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 through 12, talk about, that's the ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and it will be opened, right? Man, that's a, that's a good, peaceful verse. Or chapter 7, verse 13 says, uh, the narrow gate versus the wide gate, right? It, it's the, there's one small path. Many are going to go through the broad path, which is to destruction, but there's one small path. And he kind of summarizes that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. It's in your notes. Verse 24, if you look at it with me, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. Salvation rests in Jesus alone. Many will say, Lord, Lord, and he'll say, I didn't know you, just because they didn't have his son, just because they didn't have Jesus. You don't have to worry if there's some unusual equation to this, that what, what about me? I, I'm terrified that that passage is going to apply to me. It only applies to you if you don't have the son. The one that has the son has life. The one that has not the son has not life. It's as simple as that. And God, the greatest father ever, He wants you to know that. He wants you to know that salvation comes through His Son and His Son alone. So I have a few steps that I want you to take today. So if you've been saved for a while and you want to learn about the real case for Jesus, then I encourage you, if if you're someone who's a Christian, you've ever doubted about this, or you want to be able to um, help others, read a book like The Case for Christ, or More Than a Carpenter, or Mere Christianity. Now if you've been saved, but you've made salvation about yourself, I invite you to simply trust the work of Jesus today. Maybe you'll come up here and pray at the end, or maybe you'll pray from your seat, but you'll just say, God, I do have doubts sometimes. I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to trust that a promise in Scripture, and you should read 1 John 5, 12 that way. The one that has the Son has life. The one that has not the Son has not life. That's a promise in Scripture. The one who has the Son has life. God, I'm just going to trust that promise. That's what faith really is. It's believing the promises of God. God, I'm just going to believe that. It doesn't feel like it to me sometimes because, man, I'm, sometimes I'm rotten. Sometimes I sin. Sometimes I have a bad attitude. Sometimes I do things I shouldn't do. I'm just going to trust you, God. So if you're a believer and you've ever had that salvation that it's been about you and, and your ability to believe and, and 
do I know enough in those things? I want you to trust Jesus today. And then if there's anyone here who's never been saved, I invite you now to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Every Christian who's not struggling with doubts, let this be a time of prayer. Maybe you'll come up to the altar. Maybe you'll pray from your chair that you know there are people in this room who doubt. I want you to pray for them right now. I want you to pray as we're going to have the band come up and and we'll play. We're going to have the pastors down front if anybody needs to talk. So this is the time. If you've wrestled with those things, this is the time to get it right. This is the time to say, I'm going to make my relationship right with God or I'm going to finally have peace. Or maybe you have a, a brother, sister, friend, coworker, someone like that that struggled with these very questions. Maybe a spouse that struggled with these very questions and you're going to come pray for them. Or you're going to pray from your seat and you're just going to say, God, give them peace. God, help them. Help them rest in your salvation. Or maybe they've been living a life that's, that's opposite of God. God, help them be obedient to you so that they can have peace. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I praise you for this church and for this opportunity to preach your word. You're a good father, and you want every child of yours to know where they stand with you. God, I pray that I pray that this will be a time where someone their life gets right with you. That they realize for the first time that they're not saved, that that they need a savior, that they need to come to know Jesus Christ. I pray right now that they would confess their sins. They would just say something like, "Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. But I believe you died for my sins. I want to follow you." and obey you, and I ask you to save me. I believe you died and rose again, and I ask you to save me. And God, if they do that, if they surrender to you in obedience, repentance of sin, and trust in your death, burial, and resurrection, then they have the Son, and the one who has the Son has life. I pray for that this morning. I pray for my Christians, brothers and sisters who, maybe they're like me, and they've had moments of doubt in their life. But you didn't want us to have to doubt. That's why you want us to read your word. And we can have an amazing book like 1 John that is written for people who believe so that they may know that they have eternal life. God, I pray that for them. I pray that people in this room are having peace this morning. It's going to be a whole study, but we can begin with just the cross. Just the cross, God. It's enough. So I pray for my Christian brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord, that there's peace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.